0: It's my first time here at St. Peter's, but it's a church I've known uh, known about for a long time. I grew up in Larbert Old Church, uh, where some of you may know that was where Robert Murray McChain uh, did his assistantship before coming to Dundee. So it's uh, a church I've known about for a long time, and it's uh, it's great to to hear about the work that's going on here, and it's a wonderful blessing for me to be able to, to bring God's word to you this morning. And we're going to look at Genesis Chapter forty this morning. So, if you could turn there, uh, that would be great. Find ourselves here in uh, the early part of the Joseph story. Joseph has been sold into slavery by his brothers. He's been accused, uh, falsely accused, by Potiphar's wife. And we pick up Genesis chapter 40, um, having been thrown into prison as a result of that. Sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials the chief cupbearer and the chief baker and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where joseph was confined the captain of the guard assigned them to joseph and he attended them after they had been in custody for some time each of the two men the cupbearer and the baker of the king of egypt who were being held in prison had a dream the same night and each dream had a meaning of its own. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with them in his master's house, Why are your faces so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered, but there is no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said to him, In my dream I saw a vine in front of me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed, and its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and put the cup in his hand. This is what it means, Joseph said to him. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position. And you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand, just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. But when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. For I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews. And even here I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. When the chief baker saw that Joseph had given a favorable interpretation, he said to Joseph, I too had a dream. On my head were three baskets of bread. In the top basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh. But the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. This is what it means, Joseph said. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat away your flesh. Now, the third day was Pharaoh's birthday, and he gave a feast for all his officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that he once again put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker, just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Before we turn to look at that passage, let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is powerful to change lives. And we pray that as we look at it together this morning, that your spirit would be at work in our hearts, that you would convict us and challenge us and change us and make us more like Christ in the light of it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I should just say that um, when I uh, am referencing scripture, I have uh, printed all my scripture references in my notes. And I actually use the ESV, uh, the extremely sound version. So, um, so just uh, make the adjustment where you can. Better just take a drink before I start. Have you ever experienced pain? Perhaps physical pain? Uh, I played football for a number of years and, and broke a few limbs. Um, I, I saw a, a footballer break his leg last night on television. You may have seen that. And play, grown men were, were, were crying um, at the sight of it. Um, physical pain can be horrendous. Uh, recently, uh, my wife Rosalind gave birth. Uh, to our first little boy and um, in the lead-up to to Rosalind's uh, D-Day, as it were, I was was telling her that seeing her suffer would hurt me more than it hurt her. (laughs) Um, But I don't think she bought that and, and I can safely say that having been through that and come out the other end, she was definitely in a lot more pain than I was. So we can experience physical pain, but of course pain comes in other forms too, doesn't it? All of us have, or at some point will, experience emotional pain. Hurt caused by others. Grief at the loss of a loved one. Depression. Loneliness. All of us suffer. All of us have to face low points in our lives. But as Christians... How are we meant to deal with suffering? Is our suffering pointless? Or is there a reason for it? This passage, Genesis 40, it answers some of those questions. It encourages us to have a right understanding of God in the midst of trouble. To see God in our suffering. To see that he is sovereign over it. To see that he is at work in his people, even in the dungeons of life. And that's where we find Joseph at the beginning of chapter 40, stuck in an Egyptian prison. And that's the first thing I want us to see in this passage this morning. Joseph was someone who knew what it was to suffer. He'd started out life pretty well as the favoured son of a wealthy father. But he'd ended up being sold into slavery by his brothers. And for a while... Things actually looked like they were going okay. Joseph was put in charge of his master Potiphar's house. He was in charge of everything there. But as we learn in chapter 39, he ends up being falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. And he ends up in prison. And that's where we find him here at the beginning of chapter 40. Verse 1 tells us that he'd been in prison some time. In fact, we know that the total time that Joseph spent as a slave and as a prisoner, was 13 years. Here he was, languishing in a dungeon, not because of anything that he'd done wrong, but because he'd been faithful to God. 13 years of slavery and imprisonment. 13 years of suffering. By the time Joseph got out of prison, he was 30 years old. Some of the best years of his life Wiped out. Life isn't straightforward, is it? One of the most common objections people have when it comes to the existence of God is over the issue of suffering. Many people refuse to believe that God could exist precisely because there is suffering in our world. It's an argument that you'll have heard many times before. It goes this way. Of an all-good An all-powerful God exists. Well, he wouldn't allow pointless suffering. But because there is pointless suffering in our world, well, then God can't exist. It's the kind of objection you may have heard quite often recently with the earthquake in Haiti, and then just the other day, this disaster in Chile. It's the kind of thing you may have heard from friends or or workmates or, or from the media. It's maybe something that you've been thinking yourself as you consider the awful suffering of so many or you endure your own personal suffering. How can there be an all-good and all-powerful God when people seem to suffer for no reason? It's a genuine objection that many people have to the God of Scripture. It's often born out of personal tragedy and suffering. But the big problem with that very popular argument is that if suffering appears pointless to me, well, then it must be pointless. But just because we can't see or imagine a good reason why there might be suffering, why God might allow suffering, that doesn't mean that there can't be one. And that's no truer than here in the story of Joseph. Joseph had suffered terribly. But it was through his suffering that God brought about his wonderful purposes. The story of Joseph very clearly teaches that God rules over all the events of our lives. That he is sovereign. That we're not the victims of luck or fate. The word the Bible uses to describe God's sovereign rule over all his creatures and all their actions is the word providence. And here we see God's providence at work in Joseph's suffering. Joseph's suffering, it wasn't pointless. There was a reason for it. If you were to look back to the beginning of the Joseph story, we'd see signs of of Joseph's immaturity. The way that he told tales on his brothers. The manner in which he shared his dreams with them. In chapter 37, we learn about how much his own brothers hated him. But it was through his suffering that his character was refined and strengthened. In chapter 41, God raises Joseph up to be the prime minister of Egypt. And in that position, he's able to save thousands of lives and his own family from starvation. But he would never have been in that position to do that if God hadn't allowed Joseph's years of suffering. Softened so through the painful experiences in life that we grow that we grow in character and insight and in strength and that's certainly been true for me when I look back on times of tragedy in my own life but when we're in the midst of suffering it's really hard to see any reason for it but in time many of us can look back and see good reasons for at least some of the suffering that we experience Now, if that's true for us, then why can't it be true that from the vantage point of an all-knowing God, there are good reasons for all suffering? Essentially, that's what we see here in this passage. It tells us that God has a purpose and a plan in the suffering that we experience, even if we can't see it at the time. And it also tells us that as his people suffer, God is right there with them. He never left Joseph. That's what we see at the end of chapter 39 in verse 21. We read that the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And then verse 23, the keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. God never left Joseph. And he never leaves us if we're trusting in him then we can be confident that God is at work in us, carrying out his good purpose and plan. That's what Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, that in all things, not just good things, that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Even in the midst of that dungeon, God was working out his purpose and plan. And we see that with the people who end up as Joseph's fellow inmates, the cupbearer and the baker. Now, I wonder what your idea of the perfect job is. I've got two brothers. uh, My older brother, Martin, he lives in in North Carolina in the United States. And he is a professional football manager. They call it soccer over there. And um, his job is to coach football every day and Um, appear on TV and fly all over the United States. He flies to play out in Vancouver and then uh, Puerto Rico. Uh, Sometimes they have games out in uh, Bermuda and places like that as well. It's a really hard life that he has. Um, And I've got a younger brother, Craig. Craig lives in Germany. And uh, he works for a computer games company called Nintendo. Nintendo. And Craig's job is to write the little blurbs that appear on the back of the games. But in order to do that, Craig has to spend hours playing the games first, so that he can describe them to people. For years, um, as he grew up playing as a Nintendo, my mum used to say, get off that thing, it's it's never going to be any value to you in your career. And um, he's done well at proving her wrong. And when I share those those uh, jobs uh, to people, when I tell them about what my brothers do, often there are a few envious remarks. Well, the two men who ended up in prison with Joseph, they had enviable jobs. These guys, they were responsible for the food and drink that passed the king's mouth. The king trusted them with his life. And so these roles, they were often wealthy and influential. They were positions to aspire to. But in verse 1, we read that these two, they'd done something to offend the king. The word offended in the Hebrew, it means literally to sin against. They'd sinned against their master, and he'd thrown them in prison. And as part of God's purpose and plan, it was there that they met Joseph. And we read verse 4 that Joseph's given the responsibility to care for them. God in his providence brings Joseph into direct contact with these two influential men. And after they'd been in prison some time, we read verse 4 and 5, that that each man had a dream, and each dream had its own meaning. When Joseph comes calling the next morning, and he sees that they're dejected, he asks them, what's the problem? Why are they sad? And the reason for their upset becomes clear, verse 8, there's no one to interpret their dreams. You see, dream interpretation was a big thing in ancient Egypt. People believed that the gods used dreams to communicate with humans about the future. If you had a dream and you didn't know what it meant, well, there were consultants for that kind of thing. And these two guys on the outside, they could have afforded the best dream specialists going. But inside, they were nothing. They didn't have any access to expert interpretation. Or so they thought. The reason that God placed these men... In this prison with Joseph, it now becomes clear. Joseph says to them, verse 8 Do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. Even after all that's happened to him, Joseph still placed his confidence in God. He had a right understanding of God in the midst of his suffering. He knew that God was good, he knew that God was almighty. And he knew that dream interpretation didn't belong to some fancy Egyptian consultant. It belonged to God. He knew that God could interpret dreams because he was the one who revealed them in the first place. And he would faith that God would give him the interpretation to these dreams. Notice that Joseph is quick to give God the glory. He didn't claim to have any independent ability to interpret their dreams. He doesn't uh, hesitate. He was entirely re- reliant on God's gift of knowledge. Now, we might not be able to interpret dreams, but God still gives gifts to his people today. And we're giving them not so that we can, can glorify ourselves, but so that we can give God the glory as we serve others. God's given all sorts of gifts to his people, to his church. And we shouldn't keep those gifts to ourselves. We should use them humbly to serve others. One of the most underrated gifts is the gift of hospitality. I I see that more and more in in a society that is becoming increasingly individualistic. There's a lot of lonely people. A sense of community can be really hard to find. And as Christians, we're called to, to, to be hospitable. It's a wonderful opportunity that we have as Christians to open up our homes To be countercultural It's something that as we start the work in Leith that we're very aware of the need to do that. To be welcoming and hospitable. It's a wonderful gift to be able to use. Joseph, he used his gift to glorify God and to serve these men. And we see God use him powerfully as he faithfully shares God's truth with them even when that truth might be unpopular. And that brings us to the second thing I want us to see in this passage. So first of all, the the cupbearer shares his dream with Joseph. And as soon as Joseph offers to to interpret these dreams, notice that the cupbearer is right in there. He doesn't hesitate to share his dream. That suggests that he was innocent of whatever he'd been accused of. We read about his dream in In verse 9 to 11. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup, and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. And then Joseph interprets this guy's dream in verse 12 and 13, and he gives him a great answer. And Joseph said to him, this is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. and three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office. And you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Joseph promises that Pharaoh would lift up the cupbearer's head, that he would deal kindly with him, that he would welcome him back into his court. So the cupbearer's dream has got a great ending And then we read, uh, verse 16, that that when the chief baker saw that Joseph had given a favorable interpretation, well, then he decides to share his dream. Now, that verse should set the alarm bells ringing. The fact that the, the baker waited until he'd heard a favorable interpretation suggests that he was actually guilty of his crimes. And so it proves. Baker shares his dream, verse 16 and 17. He says, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head. And in the uppermost basket, there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. This time, the interpretation is seriously bad news for the baker. Joseph explains the meaning, verse 18 and 19. This is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. Joseph reveals that Pharaoh had no intention of lifting up the eh, the baker's head. He was going to lift it off. Joseph is the bearer of bad news. He tells the baker of the brutal judgment that awaits him. He doesn't water down the message that God's given him, does he? He tells it like it is. He doesn't try and make it more palatable. He just passes on the message that God's given him. I wonder how Joseph felt at that moment. I'm sure it was easy to give God's word to the first man. A message of good news. A message of hope and life and happiness. No problem. But for the second man, sharing God's message of judgment and death. That must have been really hard. No one takes pleasure in being the bearer of bad news, do they? 21st century Scotland is a politically correct society where it's becoming increasingly difficult to share and to stand for biblical truth. So often today the temptation is to dumb down the message of the gospel. To focus on the positives and try and get around some of the hard stuff in the Bible. People are quite happy to to speak about a God of love. But they're not so interested in a God who is holy. A God who judges those who turn their backs on him. A God who cares about what kind of lifestyle we lead. And in a society that wants to promote all religions as equally valid. Well, it's a lot nicer to say that there's lots of different ways to God. Rather than only one way. Through Jesus Christ. But when we refashion the Bible's message... We fail to tell the truth. It's not always easy to tell the truth because the truth can really hurt sometimes. It can hurt those that we really care about. And it can make our own lives pretty difficult. But as Christians, we're called to believe what God has revealed in His Word and we're called to share it honestly. Not just tell people what they want to hear. Joseph was faithful to the message that God gave him even when that message was unpopular. And if we want to honour God, then we should be too. That may lead to suffering. Joseph ended up suffering in prison for his desire to honour God when it would have been much easier to give in to temptation and sleep with Potiphar's wife. In our country, standing for the truth of God's word, it normally means being unpopular, it normally means means being labelled intolerant or unloving or sexist or bigoted or homophobic. For some Christians in, in certain countries... It can mean death. But as this passage teaches, God promises to be with his people in the midst of suffering. And he even works out his good purposes through it. And at the end of the passage, we see those good purposes begin to be worked out as the two dreams are fulfilled, just as God promised they would be. And that brings us to the final thing I want us to see this morning. Read in verse 20 to 22. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker, as Joseph had interpreted to them. The dreams were fulfilled exactly as Joseph said they would be. In many ways, this chapter is one of hope as we see God at work in Joseph in the midst of his suffering. He blesses Joseph in prison. He brings these men into his life. He gives Joseph the gift of interpretation and Joseph interprets the dreams. After Joseph has interpreted the cupbearer's dream, we see his hopes rise as he he says in verse 14. Remember me when it is well with you and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh and so get me out of this house. Throughout the chapter, hope builds for Joseph. And now thanks to Joseph, the the cupbearer has been restored to his position of power and influence Surely now it's just a matter of time. Surely now Joseph would be released. Surely now his suffering would be over. But the chapter ends in verse 23 with, with Joseph's hopes dashed. We read, yet the chief gut bearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. The cupbearer let Joseph down. He forgot him. Have you ever been let down by someone? Maybe a family member, maybe a friend, maybe a colleague at work. We're not always good at keeping our promises. We forget. But God never forgets. Joseph spent another two years languishing in that prison. But God did not forget him. As we see in chapter 41, God raised him up from that dungeon into a position of power and authority. God never forgot Joseph. And he doesn't forget us. This passage is a wonderful encouragement to the suffering Christian. It reminds us that whatever we might be going through in this life, God is with his people. He never leaves us. Just over a year ago, uh, my, my dad died uh, shortly after uh, retiring from the ministry. He was eight weeks uh, retired, not a day of illness in his life, and he died suddenly of a heart attack. And that was devastating as a, as a family for us. Um, but I, I, I was, we, we were so aware of the truths of a passage like this, that God is with his people in the midst of suffering. And a, and a poem that my dad was was very fond of, and it kind of sums this up really well. It's a, it's a little poem by Annie Johnson Flint, and it says this God has not promised skies always blue, flower strewn pathways all our lives through. God has not promised sun without rain, joy without sorrow, peace without pain. But God has promised strength for the day, rest for the labour, light for the way, grace for the trials help from above, unfailing sympathy, undying love. God never leaves his people. And by his providential hand, he is working out his purpose and plan in the midst of suffering. And nowhere is that more evident than in the death of Jesus Christ, where we see God's providential hand at work in the suffering of the cross. Where God, in His tremendous love and grace, came to this earth in the person of His Son to hang on a tree, to suffer and die in the place of sinful people like you and me. People who have offended the King of creation. Who have turned away from Him. After three days, God raised Jesus from the tomb and He placed him in a position of power and authority. And one day, Jesus Christ will return again in judgment. The bad news is that that day will be a terrible day for all who continue to reject Him, a day where they will face God's judgment and will experience suffering far beyond anything that they'll have to endure in this life. But for all who trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, it will be a wonderful day. Whatever trials we may have to endure in this life, if we're trusting in Christ, then we can keep our eyes fixed on that glorious future day. A day when God will remember all who are His. A day when all suffering and sorrow and illness and death and despair will cease. A day when all loneliness and depression and heartache will come to an end. A day when our Saviour will lift up our heads and we will see Him face to face. And from that day on, we will delight in his glorious presence forevermore. Let us pray together. Father God, we thank you that you are the sovereign king of creation. That by your providential hand, you are working out your good purpose and plan in the lives of your people. We thank you for the glorious promise of eternity that we can cling fast to if we're trusting in Christ. And we pray this morning that your spirit would strengthen us and encourage us in the midst of whatever trials we may be facing and that you would remind us of the glorious blessing it is to know Christ and to be known by him. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.